All right. Is it good to be together as a family worshiping the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. I'm glad some of you are still with us. Mm. Romans 6, let's go there together. Just bear with me this morning. Um, I have been a bit under the weather, so just uh, if I overexert myself and pass out, let's just say I was slain in the spirit and keep rolling. Um, that was a joke. All right, Romans 6, 15. Uh, first, I just want to say this. If, if you're visiting with us this morning, if you're, this is the first time you're here, first time you're hanging out with us, I just want to say uh, thank you very, very much for uh, spending your Sunday morning with us. And, uh, and if you're, you're home folk, you've been here more than one time, that means you're home, you're family to us. And, uh, and we, I just want to say I'm, I appreciate you giving us your time. I appreciate you, you making the effort to come and worship the living God. Um, I'm glad you're here. Romans 6, 15. We're going to finish out this chapter this week. <clears throat> and uh, so if you're, if you're there in your Bible, let's just get after it. Romans 6, verse 15 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under the law? but under grace by no means. And some of you, if you were here last week, you might be like, whoa, 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 we, didn't, we, didn't we talk about that last week? Didn't you say that exact same thing last week? Yes. Um, Paul here is reiterating a rhetorical question that he presented in the first verse of this chapter. In the beginning, he opens up and says, Can we, should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Or should we just keep on sinning so that God flexes his grace over us? Should we just presume on the grace of God and let God just dish out grace while we keep on sinning? So here's the second time that Paul's going to say, No, absolutely not. And I want you to hear this. Why, why is he reiterating this? Why is Paul coming back to this halfway through this part of the letter? And, and it's, listen, a lot of times we don't read the Bible this way, but, but when Paul wrote this, he didn't write chapter 6, verse 15. He wrote it as a letter to the church. He wrote it as a letter for them to read together. So this is, some, this is a continuing thought, a continuing piece. So hear this. Paul wants no one to presume on the grace of God. Because he knows that when we presume on the grace of God, it leads men to be dead in their passion towards God and indifferent about their sin before God. I want you to hear that one more time. Why was Paul adamant that we not abuse the grace of God and to presume on the grace of God? And what I mean by presume on the grace of God is we, we face this habitual sin or we face this opportunity to blow it. We face this opportunity to act anti-Christ or anti-biblical or anti-God, we, we approach this thing and to presume on grace would be to say, well, I just go ahead and do it. God's going to forgive me. I just go ahead and do it. There's grace. There's grace, man. I just go ahead and do whatever I want, live any way I want to because there's grace. Why was Paul adamant? Why was Paul hitting this point home over and over? Listen, don't do that. God forbid. No, no, no. Why? Because when you presume on the grace of God, it makes the passion of God in you dead. Your passion for God and the things of God. Your ability to feel conviction, to discern the Holy Spirit. And it makes us indifferent about sin. We, we start saying things like this on prom night. Oh, they're just kids. I was 16 once. And if you said that last night, shame on you. 
If that makes you uncomfortable, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm fine with that. The scripture says that the enemy is going to come in like a flood, but the spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. Parents, I just want to throw this out there. Raise the standard of Jesus in your home. Point to Jesus. Honor Jesus. Don't presume on the grace of God. Oh, they're just kids. They have to sow their wild oats too. Man, come on. Parents, point your kids to Jesus and pray to God that they escape the scars that you might have on your own heart. Is there any parent in the room that could not amen that? All right. I don't, I'm just like Paul in this. I don't, I don't want you to have dead passion. It's useless. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a religion and not a relationship. When we go through the motions and we presume on the grace of God, I don't want you to have no passion in your heart. At the same time, I want you to feel when you sin. I don't want you to be indifferent. I don't want you to say, well, there's grace or, or they're, you know, they're just kids. I want you to be broken over your sin because I believe God wants us to be broken over our sin. Amen. He said he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God wants us to be broken over our sin. But there's, a, there's another point this morning that I believe the reason Paul is hitting this home, the reason Paul is hitting this so hard is because he doesn't want to create false converts. <laughs> he don't, Paul doesn't want to create false converts who are comfortable sitting under his teaching. This is the greatest fear that I have as a preacher is that I'll come and I'll be unfaithful to the word and I'll preach an easy believism gospel and many of you will sit here and you'll hear the words and you'll pray some prayer that didn't really mean anything and you'll have dead passion and you'll have no care about your sin and you'll die and go to hell it's possible so why was Paul hitting at home don't abuse the grace of God don't presume on the grace of God why was he hitting hard on that because he didn't want to create false believers Men and women who prayed some prayer when they were seven and there was no change in their life or they, they walked some aisle and made some decision, but there was no change. There was no evidence of grace. There was no evidence of God. And at the end of their life, they said, but God, I made a decision. I said, I said a prayer when I was nine. And he said, but I don't know you. You've never known me and I don't know you. That's why Paul's hitting hard. Don't abuse the grace of God. Because he wants you to be sensitive. He wants you to know whether you're lost or you're found, whether you're sinning or living holy. He wants to know. He wants you to know. He say, are you sure about that, TJ? Yeah, because he loved them. We talked about it in the beginning of the letter. He wrote, oh, how I long to come see you. I want to come and spend time with you. I want to share so much with you. I love you, and I get that. Like I think about it when I get ready to prepare this sermon. I'm like, God, I want them to see. I want them to know because I love them. Like, I don't even know all of you, but I love you. I want you to enter in the gates and dance with me one day. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want us to joyfully worship around the throne for eternity. Even further, are you sure? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says it like this. Jot this down. If you're taking notes, you can go back here. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Paul is saying in another place, in another letter to another church, test yourselves. Put your life up against the word of God. Are you bearing any fruit? Has there been a change? Have you been converted? Or are you sitting this morning as a false convert? That's what he wanted to war away from. That's what he wanted his people to see. This isn't some easy belief. It's a gospel where we can do anything we want to do and we live any life we want to live and we trample his blood. No, this is a life that says, here is my body. I offered up Jesus. Do anything you want. So I'm asking you, church, this morning, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Jesus, help us, Lord. Romans 6, 16 through 18. Let's move on. Do you not, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed or entrusted, and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. That word present is the same word as offer. And we know in Romans 12, 1, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, for this is your reasonable act of service, or depending on the translation you read, your reasonable service, or your spiritual act of worship, or your act of worship. There, it says it all different kinds of ways. But he's saying the same thing here. Present yourself to God. This is the coolest thing about God in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, does anybody remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that there was a sacrifice system. Like there would be a lamb that they brought into the tabernacle and they would slay the lamb. They would sacrifice the lamb to cover the sins of the people for that year. They would, they would sacrifice animals to atone or just to cover briefly sin. Does anybody remember that in the Old Testament? Pretty gruesome stuff. Listen, when I was reading this last night, I got so amped up. Man, this week has just amped me up because I was like, God doesn't want dead sacrifices anymore. He wants living, breathing, obedient sons and daughters that he can use and he can send to the nations for his gospel and his namesake. God was sick of dead sacrifices. He says in another place in the Old Testament, he said the smoke of your sacrifices are really just kind of nauseating. Let, let me put it in 2014 2014 language, hey, listen, your, 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 your tithe amount is just kind of becoming gross to me because you're not living it, man. You're just, ugh. keep your money. Man, the way, your service, your teaching, your mission trips, TJ, your preaching, we're not yielded, obedient sons and daughters, and it's just routine, and it's just the norm, it's just what we do. God's just kind of like, like, that offering just kind of stinks. And I'd just rather you not. It's the truth, man. Get in the Bible. He wants a living, breathing, obedient son and daughter. That's what he wants. He wants to use you. He wants to send you to the nations. I want you to hear this. 
God is through with dead sacrifices. The sin debt was satisfied by Jesus' gift of himself as the lamb on Calvary. God is done with dead sacrifices. Jesus died so that we might present ourselves living sacrifices, hungry to be obedient. And he desires obedience over sacrifice. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this one time. He said, one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. One act of obedience. One act of giving out a cup of water in the name of Jesus. One act of sharing the gospel with that person that you don't really like. One act of going somewhere that makes you uncomfortable to make his name famous. One act of obedience is is more important than a hundred sermons, more than a million dollars in tithes, more than a thousand Sunday school classes taught. It's more to God that you would be obedient than make sacrifices that make us feel good about being Christians. It doesn't go down easy all the time, but it's good medicine. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. This morning it's better to obey Jesus. It's better. It's better to obey Jesus. You fill in the blank. We do it all the time in church. We do this stuff to people. We're like, do this and 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 this, and then you'll be a good servant or you'll be a good Christian. What, what if the command really is as simple as, hey, obey? And what, what if obey looks like shepherd your family well? What if obey looks like give up the American dream and go live overseas and give your life for the glory of God? What if obey looks like open up your home to hundreds of foster kids in our community, in our surrounding community? What if obey looks like doing something you've never done? What if it looks like nothing that you can find inside the walls of this church? Then God would rather have that than anything you could do inside these walls. He'd rather have your obedience. He'd rather you be leadable and pliable. He'd rather be able to mold you and use you 619, let's, let's continue on. He said, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. I love this about Paul. Can I just, this cracks me up, all right, when I read this. Paul, obviously, he was a super intellectual man. He was educated. He was learned, if you will. He was, he was the top of his class, right? He was the best of the best. And I love the way he says that. He's writing to a church and he's like, I'm speaking in human terms because you, you just won't get this. And I think about the way he's writing. He's like, oh, I get it because I'm Paul. You know, I get this. Like, I, I'm going to break this down for you because really sometimes you just don't get it. You're limited. And when I was reading this, I was like, God, he's talking to me for sure. So often I'm limited. God's trying to say things to me. God's trying to show me things, but I'm limited. And you think, well, what? My human understanding or my human means, this is why sometimes we're limited. This is why sometimes that, that, that we don't hear well from God is because we put God in this box that looks like 1050 on Sunday mornings. 
Or we've put this God in this box that looks like First Baptist. Or we've, we've put God in this box that looks like the Church of God across town. Or we put God in this box that looks like this one-dimensional thing. And, and, and God's trying to communicate obedience. He's trying to communicate that we get out of our comfort zones and we look at our box. Right? Well, God, that doesn't fit into the box of Christianity I have, so surely you're not asking me to do that. Can I challenge you this morning? Throw your box away and start looking at the Bible? Can I make that challenge this morning? All right. Thank you. I'm going to make it anyways. I'm speaking in human terms because you, of your natural limitations. Hear this. This is, this is so cool. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members to slay, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Listen to this. Ultimately, Paul is admonishing us from the text to remember the energy, creativity, planning, and excitement we put into being fools for Satan. And to use that same energy, that same creativity, that same excitement, and be fools for Christ. Listen, I'm going to let you in real quick, okay? Did you end a Pre-Jesus days. There was this time, it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. I was lost. I was lost as last year's Easter egg at this time. I knew a lot of Bible verses and I could, I could teach a Sunday school class and I actually did when I was lost and talked on Wednesday nights to youth and I was totally lost. But it was, it was about this time and Jesus was not reigning in my heart as King and Lord. I was just a religious bigot, really. And... I, I want, it was like one o'clock, and I, I was at the time I was staying with my uncle and uh, one of the coolest guys I've ever known. And I, I was staying in his house, and I was sleeping on the couch. And I got a call from a friend. They said, "Hey, man, let's go, let's go party, let's hang out." And I thought, man, if I crank up my vehicle, I'm gonna get busted. At the time, I had a 1985 Camaro, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I smelled like gas every time I got out of it because of an exhaust leak. I, I miss that car, I do. The back window leaked and filled up the little trunk thing they had, and we called my friends and I called it the fishbowl because there was always water sloshing in it. Um, true story. So it was about one o'clock in the morning. I thought, man, I, I got to get out of this house. How am I going to get out of this house? So I slip out the back door and I, I, I look at my car and I think, man, this is kind of on a decline, right? So I put the keys in, I put it in neutral, and with every bit of strength that 16-year-old TJ had, I pushed that car about 100 yards from the house. Got it out of the yard, started pushing it down the road. About 45 minutes later, I'd made it about 150 yards. I crunk it up and I rolled on. He never heard. When we want to sin, when I, when I think about the effort and the creativity and that whole thought process, like, how can I go get into this sin? Man, I was creative. I was bold. I was daring. I was pushing a Camaro down the road in the middle of the night. Why? Because I was a slave to sin. Sin was drawing me. It was calling me. Come do this. Come be a part of this. And as a slave, I was saying, okay, 
I got whatever it takes. I got to do this. Whatever it takes, I got to obey my master because my master sinned and sin feels good in the moment. So I got to get out of here. I got to do this thing. Listen, will you put that same energy, that same creativity, that same effort that we once put into following the master of sin and put that same energy, that same affection, that same time, that same boldness into following Jesus Christ, our real, true, new master? Will you this morning? Man, I... I see it all the times. Guys sit around and they, they laugh and there's a, um, in psychology they have a, a, a term for it and I've forgotten it, but they shared it one night in men's class. It was like, for me, but it was really good. And they talked about how it's so easy for guys to sit around and talk about back in the day, the trouble we used to get into and the things we used to do. And man, we were crazy, man. We can sit around and we can talk about all the foolish and stupid stuff we did. And we all got stories and we can laugh about them. But I think like some people for some reason equate being a Christian to being boring. Like all that creativity, all that passion, all that willingness to do foolish things for the, for the, for the slave master's sin. It's like as a Christian, we got to put on our Put on our best and be, oh, you know, boring and stale and stagnant. Man, that's a lie this morning. Do you hear me? Ask God to drum up that same creativity, that same passion, that same foolishness. We all did foolish things in sin. Paul said, if I'm going to be a fool, I want to be a fool for Christ. So this morning, I, I dare some of you in your prayer time this week, in your quiet time, maybe even at the altar at the end of this service, to say, God, make me foolish again for your name's sake. God, redeem the time in my heart to where I would give my energy and my affections to the slave master's sin. And God, let me be a good servant. God, let me be obedient. God, let me throw everything I have at making your name famous and your name known to every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. That's a good prayer to pray this morning, y'all. You should pray. 6, 20 through 22. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Remember that phrase. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you were not ashamed of? You are now ashamed of. Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Listen. There was a time that we thought, man, if I could just be free from conviction, life would be fun. If I could be free from following any sort of standard, if I could just be free to do whatever I want, any way that I wanted, if I could just be free, then I would truly be happy. I, I want to take you to a place in Scripture, and I'm not going to read all of this, but in Luke 15, 11 through 24, we have the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal father, prodigal son. How, uh, the prodigal son... He comes to his father and he says, I want my inheritance. I want all that you can give to me. Basically, I want, I want some money that I can go and blow. I want some money. I, I want to be away from your house. I want to be out of your care. I, I, you know, your rules, your standard here in, in this home, I'm done with it. I want to be free. Scripture says that he took his inheritance and he went into a land and, and he lived it up with riotous living. Scripture said that he basically just spent it on booze and prostitutes.
And because he desired that kind of freedom so much, Scripture says that he had to join himself to a man and work in the pig pen. His desire for freedom from his father led him to a place of bondage. Do you hear me this morning? Do you see, do you see the, paint, the picture that is being painted this morning? He so desperately wanted freedom from the standard and the righteousness of the Father's house that it led him to a place where he exhausted his freedom and had to bind himself to a man and serve in a pig pen. It led him to a worse form of slavery. So I'm asking you this morning. I'm asking you. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it the best. If we went on to 6.23, says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Martin Lloyd-Jones wraps it up the best way. He says there are two masters here that are being served, either sin or God. So I'm asking you the way Martin Lloyd-Jones in my devotion this week asked me, are you serving sin or are you serving God? Are you running from the holiness of God or the, the, the desires he has for you? You say, no, I want real freedom. I want to do what I want and go where I want and live any way that I want to live. Listen, it leads to more bondage. It's a lie from hell that says you'll really be free once you get this or do this or, or, or leave this. That is a lie from hell that leads to more bondage. So listen, are you serving sin this morning or are you serving God? I'm asking you a question. Are you serving sin or are you serving God? Because there's an outcome to the service, and it is either death or eternal life. If we serve sin, it's going to lead to death for the wages of sin. What we earn by serving sin, being bound by sin, what we earn is eternal death. But when we serve God, it is the gift of eternal life. So I'm just going to ask you this morning. Who are you serving? Your energy, your resources, your creativity, your natural giftings from the Lord. Where are you throwing those things? Are you seeking freedom in things that are truly binding you up even more? Things that at night when you lay your head down on the pillow and it's just you and God, things that break you in two. Are you devoting your life to sin? Are you devoting your life to God? Paul said, examine yourselves. And I'm just asking the same question this morning. Examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. Let me pray for you and we're going to have a time of response. And during the time of response, if you, if you want to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you say, man, I am a false convert. I've been dealing with that. I prayed some prayer that meant nothing. My life never changed, but I feel God converting me. I, I, I can see my life being drawn to Christ, and you want to follow him with your life. This altar is a, a beautiful place to come and, and seek him and make that public statement to your friends and family that will support you and get behind you and disciple you. If you just want to pray, if you want a place to say, man, I'm just struggling with this or that or whatever, you can come to this altar. There will be a prayer team in the corner. But as they sing, let's respond to God in worship. Let me pray for you. Father, You are truly the greatest of all time. And God, this morning, I, God, what a beautiful realization, what a beautiful gift of grace as the prodigal son was standing in a hog pen, covered up in the stink of his own mistakes, 
of his own running, of his own doing, he thought to himself, my servants in my father's house have it better. Or scripture says that he picked himself up and he went to the father's house and while he was yet a long way off, the father ran to him and wrapped his arms around him and kissed him on his neck. God, we just want to thank you this morning for being a God that sees us in the pig pen and still loves us and still wants us and allows us the gift of grace to realize where we are and run back to you. This morning, I just pray, Jesus, if there's anybody, God, if there's anybody still covered in the stink of their sin, feel worthless or undone, God, that you would remind them that you're the Father that'll wrap them in your arms, you'll kiss them on their neck, you'll call them redeemed and forgiven, Lord, and you'll break the chains of slavery to sin in their life. So God, as we respond, we say we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.